Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Fourteen-year-old jerk. That's who I was. I was a fourteen-year-old jerk. I was that kid... In school, the teachers looked at their roster at the beginning of the year and went, ugh. I'm not lying. Am I lying? No. Gosh. No, I'm not. Did y'all plan that? Y'all said that in unison. I was a 14-year-old jerk. I will prove that I was a 14-year-old jerk. I broke the record at St. James for... What did they call those? Not demerits. What, when you have to stay after school? Detention. I broke the record for detentions. Did I not? Yes. I'm going to quit you asking you guys questions. They have this unrealistic vision of my past. I was horrible. Yeah. And so, Now, in all fairness, so... I, I, this is the first time I'm openly admitting this, and they're in the room. In fairness, <laughs> I faked their signature on so many of those detentions. I, and I would tell them, i got to stay after and run laps for the coach and sign the detention slip. <laughs> yes, my mom's looking aghast, but that's exactly what I did. So I used to get detentions all the time, and, uh, and so I was bad. I was a bad kid. And so there was this one particular teacher that um, she just, she just, um, well, the truth is she was a good teacher and she was smart and she didn't, she didn't buy any of my crap, right? So she didn't buy the stuff that I was putting down. She was like, nope, I don't believe it. So one day after class, I got my posse together because in the 80s, that's what you called them, your crew, right? So... (laughs) So I got my posse together, and I'm like, guys, we're going to confront her after class, and we're going to tell her that she's being mean to us, and that, uh, and that, that you know, she needs to change her behavior towards us, because she's accusing us of stuff, and she treats us different than she treats everybody else, and we're going we're gonna to go as a group and tell her. And my friend's like, yeah, yeah. And so we get there after class, and I have this boldness like I've never had before in front of a teacher, and I walk into her class, and I knock on the door. Bam, bam, bam. Yes. She looks at me in the stare. And I said, you're being mean to me. And you're being unfair. And the way you treat me in front of other people, you shouldn't do that. You're the teacher, and I'm a student. You should respect me better than you do. I was bold and confrontational. Why don't you like me? I think you just have something against me. And my friends back there going, (laughs) you know that, you know those friends, the ones that are just kind of like, oh gosh, why did we, why did we say we would do this? And I didn't get in her face literally but verbally confronted her, just bold. And she looked at me and she said, 
Todd, I don't hate you. I don't even dislike you. In fact, you're very likable. The problem is you're not living to your potential. And I wasn't. That's not what I wanted to hear. I had a stupid 14-year-old boldness that was unsophisticated, that wasn't very thoughtful, that was just probably hormones more than anything else. And I went into this teacher and I gave her the what for and she looked at me and diffused it because really my boldness was just silliness. Today I want to look at how the Holy Spirit empowers us and emboldens us. Not like stupid 14-year-olds, but what really empowering and really boldness looks like. Over the last weeks, really months, we've been looking at taking a deep dive on the Holy Spirit, and we've been looking at it from a theological perspective with teachings about the Holy Spirit, now, over the next little bit, before we get into Christmas and to finish off this, uh, this season before uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to take a few weeks to look at how the Holy Spirit actually played itself out in the lives of people. So we looked at the teachings about the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to look at actual interactions of the Holy Spirit with people through the book of Acts. And so we're going to start this week by looking at this idea of boldness and empowerment from Acts Four. And we're going to look at two parts of Acts 4 because it's a whole long story and pericope that we can't really cover the whole thing of. So we're going to take some slices out. <clears throat> to get you caught up on where we are in the book of Acts in, in, when we get to this teaching, I mean, I'm sorry, this interaction with the Holy Spirit, you need to know that the Holy Spirit has come and it has fallen on the disciples and they begin to teach boldly in the area of Jerusalem right after this happened. So much so that people began to uh, start following um, their teachings and start following Jesus. And there was this big movement that, it, that just kind of started with the, the, with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, with that, there was also power that came. And one, one day, Peter and John actually healed a man, a lame beggar lame beggar who was sitting outside of the temple. And it caused such a ruckus, and they went inside, and the beggar, this, this crippled guy, comes in, and, and everybody, it's a big scene, and everybody uh, is kind of caught off guard by the fact that this man that they walk by all the time has been healed. And they don't understand how he could have been healed, because he had been crippled for 40 years. Now, in their theology, if someone was crippled for that long, it was because of sin, and they would never get well again. There was no getting over being crippled for 40 years. That was, that was you know, that just didn't happen, ever. So, so, so when, when Peter and John performed this miracle, and this beggar goes from begging on the side or outside of the temple into actually being in the temple himself, it's because he's now not crippled and he's whole, and because of that, he can be in the temple. And part of that process is he has to go and show himself to the priests there so that they can pronounce that he is now clean. And so this causes a big scene, and such a big scene that, that Peter starts preaching and teaching. 
And the leaders in the temple get mad. And they don't know what to do with him, so they throw him in prison. That's where we pick up this story. And it's going to be Acts 4. We're going to start with verse 5. Now remember, they had been in prison overnight. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. That is to say that this wasn't just a normal, hey, we got to discuss this thing. They were bringing in the Supreme Court. These were the high elders. These were the people that were way on top. This was very unusual for a simple arrest. There was something bigger going on here. And so when it names off all these, these people that show up, it's showing you that it tips its hat to this was a really big deal. They were trying to figure out what to do with this group of men who had just healed and said that they had done so in the name of Jesus and by the power of Jesus. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means did we, did, did we heal him? Let it be known to all of you, verse 10, and to all the people of Israel, we did this by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now it's interesting, it's literally these men who made the decision to send Jesus to be crucified. So when he says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he literally means you were the ones that were, that were uh, at wrong on this. Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So Peter, standing before the Supreme Court of his day, the most important and most powerful people in his, in his world, in his immediate world, he's a simple fisherman, not educated, had never stood up and argued before a court before. In fact, the last time that this court had met, where, what did Peter do? He denied and he ran away. So Peter, this same Peter who was scared before and ran away and got out of Dodge and was scared is now standing boldly before the Supreme Court. These people in charge, these great rulers. And he stands up and he even goes so far as to say this Jesus Christ whom you crucified is by his power that we've healed this. It's by his power that this man is will. That's bold. So the question is, how does he go from someone hiding in the dark and running away to some st someone standing boldly, boldly before this court and proclaiming truth? What's the difference? What happened? He was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit filled him and empowered him. And that's the idea here, right? This is kind of what we talked about last week. The promise of the Spirit in, the, in teaching last week, the promise of the Spirit was that when times get rough, when times get bad, 
I'm going to send the Spirit and you're going to be okay. And so Peter has been arrested. And now he's before these same men who crucified Jesus. And understand in the back of his mind, what do you think he's thinking here when he stands up to talk? Not rhetorical. What do you think he's thinking? <laughs> exactly. These guys did it to Jesus. All right, giddy up. Here we go. This is it. This is, it's about to get real here. I'm about to die. Am I willing to tell the truth? <clears throat> but he was filled with the Spirit. And in that filling with the Spirit, he was empowered. And he was given the right things to say. Just like we learned last week, the promise in Luke. The promise is now fulfilled. Don't worry about what to say. The Spirit will be with you. I'm anointing you with the Spirit. Now we get to the scene. He's filled with the Spirit. And he says the things that he says. And they are like, whoa, okay. But then he goes on, verse 11. This Jesus, the one that you crucified, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. <clears throat> now, does anyone know why that's an important phrase there? What's, what's significant about verse 11? If you have a study Bible, it probably points you to another verse. What verse does it point you to in Psalms? All right, 118, 19 through 22, is that what you said? Okay, so it's Psalm 118, one of the most popular psalms about the coming Messiah. So this man who is uneducated, who's never been trained in rabbinic theology, who's never had to memorize all of the scripture, this guy who is uneducated and unqualified and unprepared to speak on behalf of theology and on behalf of Christ, stands up and is able to share this, and he is reminded of, in the middle of, of this, of this of, I guess not confrontation, but of his argument against the court, he pulls up the most significant psalm for Messianic theology in their day. Psalm 118. And he says, look, here the builders who rejected the stone, and that stone, Jesus, has become the cornerstone. He didn't ever study that passage as a kid. He didn't ever do theological treatises or discussions on that passage. It's not like he went to seminary and it was there and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I've got this. I know all this. I've learned all this in class. He didn't have any of that. He is a simple fisherman. And this dude shows up and he says, all right, let me tell you how we healed this guy. And he goes through a very, a very theologically sound argument. And one that's crafted in a way that would have confronted the leadership in their own language and in the way they would expect to, to interact in a courtroom. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these learned men, these 
academicians, these guys who were scholarly and in charge of the whole faith of Israel, these people in power, these people who had done this a hundred times, if not thousands of times, these people who had all the experience and all the knowledge are astonished at Peter's response. They're blown away. And what's the catalyst of his ability to do this again? The Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is in the business of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. The Holy Spirit is in, is in the business of taking the, the uneducated and educating them with truth. The Holy Spirit is in the business of taking the, the normal, plain, everyday and making it special. The Holy Spirit is a catalyst that brings everything to something bigger and better than it was. That is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, guys. Now, we're sitting in a group. Most of you in here are highly educated. And whether you're like, well, I don't have multiple degrees. I don't even have a college degree. I'm not saying degreed. That's not what I'm saying. Most of you in here are highly educated. Period. Whether you have a degree or not. Most of you in here are sophisticated enough to understand. You don't think like a fisherman would in Jesus' day. We are highly educated, highly sophisticated people. And because of that, too often we trust in that more than we do the Spirit. Because we are so sophisticated and educated in our culture, we tend to lean on that more than we do the Spirit. I'm guilty of this every single day, guys. So, God takes a normal fisherman an uneducated, sophisticated fisherman and uses them to speak this eloquence in front of the leadership of a nation. And the thing that makes that possible is the Spirit. And we sell ourselves short of what the Spirit has for us because we lean on our own abilities too much. We lean on our own knowledge too much. We lean on our own sophistication too much. We lean on our own ability to do things ourselves too much. Guys, we need to recapture this. We need to recapture the... Uh, we, need, we need to recapture the simpleness of trusting in something bigger than ourselves and leaning on to the Holy Spirit instead of our own Selves. Because when we lean on ourselves, we're like the silly 14-year-old boy confronting a teacher. We think we know. But when we lean on the Spirit, something greater happens. The rest of the story is this. 
They send Peter and John out, and the crippled man happens to be there. Poor crippled man might have been healed and couldn't even go home for the first time. He had to go stay in prison because these these leaders been healed, right? So he comes back, and they're like, all right, y'all go sit over there. We're going to discuss. And they get together, and they discuss what they're going to say, and they come up with a decision, and they bring these guys back in, and they say, don't tell anybody about this. We're going to send you on your way, but you've got to, you got to stop saying these things that you're saying and talking about this Jesus guy. You've got to stop that. And Peter says, let me tell you something. I got a little something, something for you. Am I going to listen to humans or am I going to listen to God? I think I'm going to listen to God. Deuces. And out they go. So Peter basically says, yeah, no, that's not happening. See ya. And leaves. And then he goes back and he gathers together with his friends. Verse 23, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and then they prayed this prayer. And in the middle of the prayer, as they're thanking God for what he did, and as they're praying back a psalm, this time Psalm 2 to him, they come to this, to this passage here, or to these verses Verses 29 through 31. And now, Lord, this is the ending of the prayer. Look upon their threats, there being the people that had threatened them. Not only the Romans, but also the religious leaders. And grant to your servants, to us, to continue to speak your word with boldness and all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the, Lord, uh, the word of the God with boldness. So they get back and they report to their friends, hey, this is what happens. And it, they just break down and, and worship. And they start praying. And they pray for continued boldness. They pray for continued support and empowerment. They pray for the Holy Spirit to show up in their lives, to empower them, and to use them. To show up, to empower, and to use them. And they pray that, and as soon as they say amen, boom, the whole place starts to rumble. I mean, what? Gosh, I wish that would happen one day here. I mean, kind of. I would probably freak out. But still, that would be cool, right? They finish praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, and guess what happens? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what the period is, but the Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up, and it starts to rumble. It's a rumble in the jungle. And they continue to speak the truth of Christ boldly. And what's the catalyst in all of it? The Holy Spirit. Guys, the Spirit has more for you than your sophisticated, educated self could ever imagine. The Holy Spirit has more for you than you could ever dream of. And we sell the work of the Spirit short, guys, all the time. He wants to show up and do things in you. Are you willing to let him do it? Are you willing to let him do it? 
It's Melinda who's, who's not in here today, but Melinda, I think it was last week where she said her reach goal is that when she feels the prompt of the Holy Spirit to say yes every time, no matter how silly or inconvenient it is. That's boldness. <laughs> That's being willing to say, okay, Spirit, you do what you want with me, and I'm willing to listen. So if I'm, if I'm standing in the, in the line at the grocery store and the Spirit prompts me to speak to this person or prompts me to pay for this person's groceries, whatever, I'm willing to do it. I'm all in. Lead me, Lord. Lead me, Holy Spirit. And that's what set the first century Christians apart from where we are today. I want to close with two stories. The first is a true story that happened yesterday. The second's a true story, too. I don't know why I use the word true. Yesterday morning, I spoke at a marriage retreat and a treat and a retreat for uh, teenagers and their parents. It's called Outback. It's right down the street actually at Camp Grace. Is that the name of it? Camp Grace. And yesterday morning at like four in the morning rain came through and and uh, just made kind of a mess where we do the morning talk and it's outside. So we couldn't do where we normally do the morning talk, so we had to do it under a pavilion. And we were in the pavilion, and before, before anyone speaks, you go to the prayer tent and they pray over you. And a guy prayed for me yesterday. And yesterday he prayed that um, there would be an unusual uh, pouring of the Spirit on and through me, and that the Spirit would, would uh, I don't think he used the word visibly move, but something to that effect, that the, that the Spirit would just, would move, and we would know it kind of thing. And, and so as he played that over me, I was like, yeah, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but just, you know, move this morning. And so we got, we got to the place, and, and because we couldn't do it where we normally did it, we were, we were positioned a little bit differently in the, in the uh, where, where they do the meals, the pavilion. And we weren't out across the lake on the other side. It's kind of covered around by trees. And so we were there, and I got to a point in my, in my talk where we transitioned to prayer, and I started to pray. And the prayer had something to do with fully surrendering. And as I was praying about fully surrendering, I said, God, do, do what you move the way you want to move. And at that moment, this massive wind comes blowing through the place. I'm not talking about just like a gust. I'm talking about a massive wind. Tablecloths are moving. People are shivering. And it doesn't stop. And when we got through, there were multiple people that was like, uh, what, um, what was that? 
He's blowing. He's moving. And he wants to cover you up. And he wants to use you and empower you. And the last story is this. I started with the story of a silly 14-year-old boy's boldness that was just so ridiculous. But let me share with you what real Christian boldness looks like. When I was 14, 15, there was a guy in the youth group that was older than me that I kind of looked up to. His name was Toby. His actual name was Toby. And he felt called to go into missions. And so when he was in college, after college, or once during college and then after college, he graduated, went on staff with a mission organization, and went to China at a time where China was locked down. There were multiple times where he was entering into the country with suitcases with hidden Bibles in it, and had they been found, he would have been sent to a concentration camp. It was bad times. This was back in the late 80s. And he was going over as a missionary teaching English in a university setting. And so you would go in and you would teach English, but you would try to build relationships. And then on the side, building these relationships, you would, try, you would pray for the opportunity to share Christ. And so Tobin was doing this. And he had made some headway. And there were some kids in his class that had just really grasped on to this truth about Jesus. And, and, and they knew, they told him, Tobin, you know that they have a spy in class. And he said, well, I figured they, we were told they would. And they said, yes, it's so-and-so. And she's here. And she's spying on you. And if you say anything about Jesus, they will arrest you. So Tobin started praying about it because his plan was, in his teaching of English, to take a passage out of the Bible and have them read it and then talk about what the English words mean and then connect it to the person in the story of Jesus. Say, have you ever heard of this person? And that was his plan, and, and he had prayed about it and prayed about it, and the Spirit kept prompting him, do it, say it. Say it. This is, what, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what, Lord, are you sure? Yes. Lord, are you? it just kept coming back to this feeling that God was saying, yeah, I want, you to, I want you to do that. So the day came for it to happen. And the spirit was strong and said, this is it. He knew God was speaking to him. This is it. This is the day. He walks into the class and he's thinking, okay, what's going to happen is I'm going to show up and the person's going to be sick that day. Or I'm going to show up and, and I'm going to get start and they're going to get held up in traffic because traffic's horrible in China like it is in some places. Uh, and they're going to get late to class and, and they're going to miss it. Shows up, first person in class is the spy. Sits down on the front row, bam! And right then he has a choice. What am I going to do? Tobin, doing what I think most of us would, would do, is like, okay, I'm going to punt. Lord, is that okay? No, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. So with sweaty palms and sweaty pits, 
he gets up and starts telling the story of Jesus and reading from Scripture. And as he does, the whole class is silent and drawn in and listening to every word. And there the spy sits. That day, almost the whole class, at some point, came up to him and said, I want to know more about your Jesus. But not the spy. The spy came up to him after class and said, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm going to have to take this lesson again because the whole time today, my ears shut down and I literally couldn't hear anything. Can you tell me what you taught? Can you send me with homework? That's what the Spirit does, guys. That's what the Spirit does. He empowers and he helps us claim with boldness. That day Tobin spoke boldly, not like a silly 14-year-old, but with someone empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, not empowered and not bold like being bold and jerky bold, not being brazen and ridiculous both like a 14-year-old Todd, 14-year-old Todd, because most of the 14s in our, at the Grove are way more mature than I ever was, ever, still. But that 14-year-old jerky Todd, not like that bold, bold with the Spirit because he wants to use you. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.